as someone who's been to Central America quite often, uh, you know, the first time you go with, with FH and you're seeking relationship, you're not trying to actually do something that North Americans are so addicted to trying to do. It's, it's really quite a change and you see the value of it over, over time. And so our congregation, those who have been down, and there's been quite a few of us, I think have really connected into, again, what does it mean to, to help people achieve the vision that they want rather than to go down and to try to achieve the vision that we want for them. Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Shalane. We're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Eric, we have a first today because we have two guests joining us from New Life Church in Duncan, BC. Yeah, we've got the opportunity of getting to know Ken Nettleton, lead pastor, who, along with his wife Kimberly, have pastored churches for over 30 years and have been with New Life since 2014. And we also have Andrew McDonald, who is the teaching pastor at New Life. He and his wife, Jen, and their three young children have been part of this ministry since 2016. We're going to jump right into our conversation because we want to give maximum time to understanding how New Life is addressing issues of poverty. So without further ado, welcome, Ken and Andrew. Thanks. It's good to be here today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Our pleasure. So one of the ways that we typically begin these podcasts is by jumping right into the topic of poverty, and we'd love to hear from one or both of you how you would finish the sentence, poverty is. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, a great question. Uh, I, I've been really heavily influenced, actually, by the FH model of, of poverty being uh, sort of holistic, right? Uh, I don't know how often... Uh, you guys talk about you know the the, the poverties of uh, spiritual poverty, relational poverty, uh, material poverty. You know those, those those spheres. But my personal theology, as I come to understand more about, I think this this trend we see in Scripture is that God wants us to experience shalom, right? And I, you kind of see that all the way through. And and in the Garden of Eden, there is this perfect image of shalom, where there's uh, this peace, this right relationship, uh, this oneness with God, right? As Adam and Eve walk in the garden. Uh, there's a, a oneness in terms of that relationship between humanity, right? Adam and Eve walking together, you know, they were perfect in that unity. There was a unity with creation, uh, with harmony. Uh, and so there's that shalom, which is broken by sin. And I think poverty is probably in some ways that absence of peace uh, in all those, those areas. There's spiritual poverty where now we're separated from God. There's relational poverty where we're separated from each other. There's material poverty where now there's injustice and and strife in that way. And then poverty in terms of our interaction with creation to that brokenness. And so I think, I think poverty, theologically anyway, for me, poverty is the, the absence of that, that shalom, that rightness. Yeah, I would jump on what Andrew just said. We've been influenced by that greatly. And uh, as a padre in the Canadian Forces, I'm also uh, doing that with my time. I love talking to my troops about, uh, I don't use the word poverty, but I use the word health and wellness, which really is the same thing. And uh, it, it opens their eyes when we begin talking about, are you well in these areas? Are you well with your creation? Are you well with each other? Are you well within yourself? And then are you well within looking at, at God, a uh, higher power, your meta narrative of life? Uh, is that well, or do you have anxiety about that? So both of you have already started on a note that I'm sure to some people might catch them off guard, that we're talking about poverty and you're already talking about relationships. You're not talking about an absence of stuff or not having money. 
there's really a different type of language that's being used here. So I'm wondering, both of you have shared a little bit about your roles, and we'd love to hear how they have changed in the last year, particularly in light of COVID. Uh, yeah, my role has changed in the last year. So I came on staff as young adult pastor. And so we were running a young adult evening service, and it was drawing people from kind of all over the island. So we're having a lot of fun with that. And then COVID sort of shut everything down. And then that process began to change. And and over time, we we had to develop some new strategies for how we were going to stay connected as a congregation. But also, I mean, one of Ken's big things is seeing, okay, if God is if if God is in control, if God is sovereign, then what are the opportunities here? How is how is COVID mm-hmm. an opportunity uh, that isn't surprising God, but rather forcing us into some change? And so uh, we tried to to look at this as an opportunity to. Uh, really work on some of those things that we've been wanting to work on for quite some time, and and so the struggle in the North American Church has been how do we how do we get people in their faith to to live it out outside of Sundays, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, well, we shut the church down on Sundays, and now that's all there is, right? So <laughs> what we've decided to do is instead of doing a, a sort of a, a lump sum delivery of teaching on a Sunday, we've spread it up now over the five days, and we do daily devotionals. And so I've become mm. the teaching pastor in charge of. In charge of that, it's been kind of, it's been actually really interesting as a study where we take 10, 15 minutes and we, we're going expositionally through text. And so we started with John and now we're actually this week wrapping up Acts where we're able to take on these large books, which on a Sunday morning would just take, I mean, they would take years to really get through in depth. And mm-hmm. so because we're doing five smaller messages uh, a week, we can really make some progress. And so in what's it been, six months, seven months, we've gone through, yeah, all the way through John and all the way through Acts. And so trying to also set our people up into a habit of being in the Word every day and sort of feeding on that instead of just one one meal a week. And so uh, so that's been my primary emphasis. And then we, we recap what we've talked about during the week and give questions for our house and village churches, our groups of people who are meeting uh, I mean, virtually still. But, uh, and so it's, it's all based on sort of a spread out uh, expositional teaching. And so that's what I do. COVID is a disruption, not an interruption. And so we see God taking something and using it to refresh and revive us and to launch us into the future. And so COVID really is an accelerator of what was already happening. And uh, when this is all over, we are fully intend to keep the dailies going. We've got this habit of five days a week uh, that people are in the Word together with us, and we want that to continue. Uh, and so we've developed really uh, house churches that then gather multiple house churches into villages when restrictions allow, up to 50. And then uh, Sunday mornings is really going to be our cathedral. So we have houses, we have villages, we have a cathedral. And the cathedral is where we do some things, but the houses and villages are really where the people of God get down to business together in their neighborhoods and with each other, which is just fantastic. God's doing a wonderful thing here. We're, I think, stronger and uh, more refreshed than we've ever been. Wow, that's exciting to hear. I just want to pop back, Andrew. In your initial answer, you mentioned something about food for the hungry influencing your definition of poverty. So if we could just take a few minutes and either of you, both of you, comment on what does your partnership with Food for the Hungry look like? How has it impacted your church and even maybe specifically in terms of discipleship, how has the connection with Food for the Hungry affected discipleship and, and things that are happening within your congregation? Well, I'll, I'll give you a quick overview, and then Andrew can jump into that question maybe a little more if he wants. But uh, like like many churches, our initial response to Food for the Hungry's 
opportunity was was into child sponsorship. And so we have this uh, tremendous village in uh, Akua, Guatemala. And right now, I think we're at about 138 children that we're sponsoring as a congregation. And then, of course, we have teams that, that have an opportunity to go down and build on the relationship that we have from a distance. And suddenly you're, you're there. And as someone who's been to Central America quite often... Uh, you know, the first time you go with, with FH and you're seeking relationship, you're not trying to actually do something that North Americans are so addicted to trying to do. It's it's really quite a change, and you see the value of it over, over time. And so uh, our congregation, those who have been down, and there have been quite a few of us, I think have really connected into, again, what does it mean to to help people achieve the vision that they want rather than to go down and to try to achieve the vision that we want for them. And so to connect with allowing them to be in charge of of what God is leading them into. And just because we may have more money doesn't mean that we're wealthier, to go back to what we began with, uh, to go down and to learn what wealth is from them and then to uh, just enjoy the relationships and, be, and to be taught by them. And then to see the things that we do have, sharing them, generosity, we have a value here, is distributing God's resources. And so as we generously provide as we can, we're discipled in, in that area of life, seeing that, again, money doesn't make you wealthy. Other things do. Um, Jesus Christ makes you wealthy, right? And so uh, that would be the start. Andrew, you want to add to that? Yeah, it was uh, about five years ago. We started the partnership, and we uh, were partnered with a, a little little village in central Guatemala called Akul. And so, as we had begun this partnership, I think you guys came and did an ending poverty boot camp. <laughs> we we uh, did. And so, I was taking the first team down to Guatemala. That was in twenty sixteen, I believe. Uh, and so, I was taking. We were getting ready to take the first team down, and so we did the, the workshop. And also, uh, our required reading for the trip was to read uh, "When Helping Hurts." And then, so you sort of add those together with the experience of actually being on the ground with people and, you know, you're not going to, uh, you're not going to go build a school for them and, and fix the village, but you're rather just mm-hmm. going to build relationships and see what, what's going on in, in the village itself, the people themselves. And so all of that for me really, I think, helped me redefine my view of, uh, in some ways, how do we alleviate poverty into an answer that was far more complicated and difficult and slow but the the easy, quick answer, uh, you know, wasn't really the right answer at all. Uh, I think is is what we've learned of of just handing things out. Yeah, so I've been down to Guatemala twice now, and uh, you know, for me, one of the, the the real key moments was to sit in one of the women's saving groups and to be able to to sort of have them share, right? And so to be able to sit in a room and, and here in North America, you always hear that the you know the poverty line, you know, a dollar fifty a day. Uh, how many millions and millions of people live, you know, below that line, and to sit in a room and ask people, you know, what is the average daily income in this village, and for them to say about a dollar forty uh, was, wow. was shocking. Well, here I am, uh, and then they they had the savings credit group where they would bring their own money and they would put it in, and and one of their own members would would sort of keep track of it in a uh, in a ledger, and so we were just there witnessing them providing savings, and one woman was asking for a small loan from the group, and there was relationship and there was accountability. Um, but even more so, it was the pride of that group, the pride that they took in in what they were able to accomplish on their own without us seeding it. Uh, and I think within the matter of a couple of years in, they were up to you know eighteen hundred dollars or something, mm. which for them, when you think about a dollar forty a day, um, it's a significant amount. And as they talked about it and what they were able to do with it, there was this overwhelming pride and sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. 
and when you're talking about poverty, uh, I mean, I, I think there's a significant piece there where it was it was giving the education, it was giving the encouragement, it was sort of empowering and enabling them to to pull themselves up in their own way, you know, mm-hmm. towards their own goals. Uh, and so it was cool just to be able to sit back and know that that we were part of of that without having to sort of say, "Here's eighteen hundred dollars. Now you go and take it and uh, and do some microfinance." And so um, so that that all for me really helped me shape through the FH model, shape uh, a view of of alleviating poverty relationally. But it, it, I mean, it just makes the whole process much more difficult. And something we're wrestling through right now in Duncan, there's a tremendous amount of poverty all around us. There's a tremendous amount of drug abuse and homelessness. And and going, how do we how do we tackle this problem without just sort of handing out stuff, which mm. isn't really you know. And so, um, actually, right now we're in that process of trying to mm. engage in those conversations, saying how can we take the same model um, and start applying it around us, and it's it's mm. not easy. Yeah, such I mean, such important conversations really to apply what you've learned through your relationship with the community of a cool. You know, what can you learn from that to be able to apply to your own community here in Canada? One thing that both of you mentioned was the regularity of trips to visit Guatemala and just how powerful that has been. And as someone who's personally been able to participate in that with Food for the Hungry, I can speak to just the power of the the relational nature of those trips. And I, I feel a bit sad hearing you talk about them because I know that, that's, that those are on hold right now because of the pandemic. And I'm curious... For New Life, what does it look like to navigate maintaining relationship with your community that you're partnered with while kind of weathering the storm of the pandemic? Yeah, you know, I think, to be honest, uh, it hasn't been easy in in one way, but what has been, I think, encouraging, and it it might sound funny to say that, is that COVID has leveled the playing field because they are going through COVID, we are going through COVID, and we can't spend our way out of COVID. I mean, I think what's been proven here in Canada, even over the past year and a half, is yeah, we've been we've been spending, but we haven't spent our way out of COVID. COVID is still with us, and it is impacting us. And so, mm-hmm. as we face exactly what they are facing, and we are relying on on the relationships we have uh, and feeling isolated, and what does all that? mean for us. We then look to our, our brothers and sisters, our friends down in a cool and we say to the FH staff, we ask you guys, what do they need? And and one of the joys we had last fall was to simply again take the generosity, the financial generosity that God has given us, and then pass it on, pay it forward, distribute God's resources. He's given it to our hands and it is our job, it is actually our responsibility to then give it to other people. And so last fall, we were able to to do that. Uh, we were able to forward quite a bit of funds actually down to a cool. And, it, you know, in many ways, it was a drop in the bucket. And again, we're talking money, which is something that we can simply send as a love offering. A bit like Paul, you know, collecting for the church in Jerusalem. We we really wanted to collect and to give to our brothers and sisters uh, down there. And then to talk to the FH field staff, who also are having a hard time because they can't get into the villages. Uh, I mean, they're locked down pretty tight there. And yet to hear that uh, that Akul is is surviving, and even more than surviving, you know, things are happening there. Their, their five-year, ten-year plans are still coming to fruition. And God is up to some, some good things there. So it hasn't been easy, but uh, in the midst of all that, uh, providing for people that we love, I think, has been a really important thing. Andrew, was there anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think 
one of the other opportunities that COVID has really given us is I think, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I think that mm. we all appreciate relationship a lot more as we, you know, we took for granted being able to sort mm. of gather. And, uh, and so I think there's a, a renewed yearning for relationship. Yeah. And it's, it's just sort of in some ways waiting, I think, until we can, we can re-engage in some ways uh, how we want to. I'll jump in just one more time in terms of when we go down there, a little antidote. My, my favorite people to bring are, are really hard-driving type A personalities because they often get down there and they go a little stir-crazy the first week or so, you know, because they're living on Central American time where time time is taken a little more casually and, and more relationally. And often what happens is after about three days of someone being down there who is really a hard-driving person, I'll find them sitting on the side of a sidewalk, you know, uh, often crying, often finding the shoe is dropped. They actually get it that they didn't come down there to, um, to be a rich North American providing the means for people. They actually came down to learn and to grow and God has confronted them with their own poverty. And I'm looking forward to uh, having more people confronted with the poverty that we as North Americans have. And so that to me is something that uh, I never get tired of seeing. Uh, I certainly experienced it myself. And uh, once you've experienced it, your life is never the same. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. So just to shift the topic a little bit here, can we just talk about coffee for a bit and your Always. relationship with coffee? Because we thought that might be a fun topic and actually really deeply connected to this conversation. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, if we're, we're going to go down that rabbit hole, uh, I guess what we'll dive in. Uh, it was, um, I think my, my first trip to Guatemala was, uh, it was about 12 years ago with a different organization. I, I, I took some youth down, uh, and we went down onto a, a coffee plantation. Uh, the missionary that, uh, that had brought us down, his family had owned one and he used it as a ministry. Uh, and so for me, it was the shocking realization about commodity and that uh, we walked in amongst all the cherry trees and, and the realization that each individual cherry is picked by someone. And then the, the the cherry goes through a whole process where it's it, it's washed, it's dried, uh, it's bagged, it's shipped, uh, then it's roasted. And so you grab a bag of beans. Every two of those beans was one cherry picked by someone by hand that's not done mechanically. Uh, and you start to to then add up the steps along the way, and, and you start to realize you know hey it's not about paying as little amount as as possible. That that someone along this chain is paying for this coffee, whether it's it's me in the store paying an equitable amount or I'm, I'm forcing the family picking it to pay with lack of education and healthcare. And so, so it started to stir up for me uh, this realization of, of things that we buy come from places, right? And, and that, mm-hmm. that money along the chain doesn't just go to a store. Uh, and so from there, I, I started to, to think about coffee in, in some ways relationally. And so when I came here at the church, it was just perfect timing. People have been talking about it for ages already. We decided to take a, a little library in the middle of our foyer, move the library and turn it into a, a coffee bar. And uh, what we really wanted to do when we partnered with Akul was to see if there was some way that maybe we could establish a coffee relationship. And so uh, on our, my first trip down uh, with FH, I, I was at my sponsor child, which is an amazing experience. Not, I mean, it's one thing to be uh, on a missions trip, but it's another to be in the home of someone who, you know, is kind of on your fridge, uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, to be in their home and how they live and, and just sort of hear their story and meet their family. And so we were, we were sort of wrapping up our visit and I was standing outside and sure enough, I recognized a tree in her front yard, uh, this tiny little front yard and it was a coffee tree. 
And uh, I sort of asked her, because I have my own coffee roaster. I roast my own coffee at home. And was there any chance she had any green coffee? And sure enough, she had some that she was drying on her patio. And so I was able to buy it from her. And then it sort of stirred up, well, what if we could get coffee from a cool uh, mm. and roast it here in Duncan and serve that at the coffee bar? And so then it's tying in this partnership that we have with this village where now we're buying a, a product that comes from the area and in which some of the people in the village may actually be working on those farms. And so uh, it was actually quite a process, um, but we found a farm eventually fairly close. And so before the pandemic kind of shut us all down, we had just started getting into the groove of this where we were uh, shipping up about a thousand pounds at a time of coffee from the uh, Akul region. And then we had someone in our congregation who had his own roasting company. And so he would roast it. And that's what we were serving. And it was excellent coffee, uh, mm. really, really good coffee. So we would roast it a few different ways. And that's what we were serving. We named it for names of the area down there. And then we were selling that coffee to our congregation as well. And all the proceeds from that sale were going back down to down to a, a cool through FH. Uh, and so mm. we try to create this relational partnership with something that people are buying anyway, tying it into the people who are actually picking the coffee. And what we're hoping to do the next time we go down, again, uh, it's been more difficult than you would assume, um, but we want to put boots on the ground on a coffee plantation where beans are coming from, where mm. where we can go and take pictures and shake hands with the farmer and and ask them, how is this relationship? Is this working for you? Is it equitable? you know, in terms of what we're paying you, be able to put those pictures up in the coffee bar so that people can see the people, some of the people who are picking, growing, washing, producing this coffee that we are drinking, and then shift our buying to, for some people, more expensive than they would buy in a grocery store, to buy the coffee from the church, knowing that the proceeds are actually going straight back down to a cool into this partnership and then also, hopefully, also expanding our, our, our understanding of, you know, hey, where does, where does our clothing come from? Um, where, you know, the, all of these things come from people and, and simply buying them for as cheap as possible. Is it really, are we really living out the kingdom? And so uh, we're trying to do that with coffee. And so it's it trying to, to bring in all these different levels and layers. And uh, so it's been, it's, been, it's been kind of fun. It's been, yeah, difficult. Mm. Um, but we're, we're hoping to get there. We can sell, you know, 100 pounds a week. And be able to send. We're at right now. We're we're selling the bags for about twelve dollars a piece, and so four dollars from every bag goes straight back down to a cool. In addition to sort of the fair trade uh, sort of prices that we're paying for the beans to begin with. Mm-hmm. Do you ship to the uh, Lower Mainland? Uh, we uh, we we could certainly try and set that up. Yeah, <sighs> and these are all sort of some of the details that we're trying to figure out, and we're working on when COVID hit as well is that there are other churches as well who are partnered with a cool. And mm-hmm. so they were also hoping to get some coffee. And so, uh, and then also supporting Jason, who runs a, a coffee roastery here in town, Black and White. He works at the Salvation Army. He sort of runs uh, that ministry as well. And so supporting him in that. Uh, so trying to get him connected with some other churches where he's roasting for them as well. Ken, anything that you'd like to add to that? You know, I think Andrew's put it together well. I mean, he had a great vision for this. And, and part of the joy I've had to uh, experience with him is, is watching someone with a vision like Andrew's had uh, the whole thing come together. And uh, just can't tell you how happy that makes me feel to, uh, to see this, this happening just the way it should. You know, we have people helping people all over the world. Uh, we have equity and justice issues uh, in a very micro sense uh, beginning to, to stir in people and, and to happen. So, no, it's great. It's actually what's in my cup right here. Coffee from Akul. Excellent. 
Well, to our listeners, as you're hearing this conversation unfold, maybe questions are coming to mind, even about the model that Andrew and Ken are talking about, about this, their relationship with coffee and creating an equitable system. And I know for myself, it's bringing up lots of questions and I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation, but we encourage you to continue the conversation even after today by reaching out to us by email at podcast at fhcanada.org so that we can continue that conversation together. Andrew and Ken, a word that is striking me kind of across the different responses that you've given so far would be justice. And I'd be curious, you know, starting with you, Ken, what does justice mean to you and how does that concept relate to talking about issues of poverty? Man, that's a huge question. We could spend all, all day on it. So I know we're only going to scratch the surface, but you know, when you look at the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is is all about justice. And it takes me back to Luke 4, where Jesus, you know, the spirit of God is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, recovery sight to the blind, freedom from, from the prisoner. And so, you know, in, in God's world, what God wants is for the whole world to live in this beautiful balance of loving one another as we love God first. And then the love that he places in our hearts just has us love our neighbor in a in a way that puts our neighbor's needs before ours. And then we don't have to worry about our needs because our neighbor is doing the same for us. And when that justice begins to take place, uh, you know, we're writing these checks to each other that that are really God checks. We're, we're writing these checks of, of caring, of putting needs before ours, and of uh, and of living in, in this way that allows other people around us to something get into that as well and, and to join us in that. And, and I think that's what Jesus really, he really came to accomplish. I mean, we, we just came through Easter, obviously, and we are, um, you know, God's God's justice for us and and taking our sin upon himself and dying for us is is just a powerful, powerful thing. And I think what we often confuse as, as Christians regarding justice is that uh, is that we see justice as something different than what God sees it as. I mean, that would be where, where I would start. But like I said, the rest of the day we could spend on, on that particular issue. Mm-hmm. As I've been listening to both of you, justice has come up, and in particular with the making sure that every person in the chain you talked about, Andrew, is receiving fair compensation for their work. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful expression of what we at Food for the Hungry believe, and that is that people can solve their own problems. People can address their own issues. They they need champions to walk alongside them. And so I just want to say on behalf of Food for the Hungry, thank you for the way that New Life and each of you are are walking alongside the community of Akul and the people there. I do also just want to come back to the impact that it's having on your particular congregation. And I'm just curious, this this social venture, this coffee piece, Andrew, you mentioned that you have a local roaster who is involved in this. Are there other ways that entrepreneurs from your congregation have been inspired by what's happening with this relationship with Akul? Oh, that's a yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I mean, I know the people that we've brought down have always been inspired, but usually it's it's having in some ways have them pump the brakes, right? Because it's uh, well, we want to buy. You know, there's a need. We want to buy them the well. Can we can we have a fundraiser and buy them the well? You know, because mm. they they see the need is there, and it's you know again having them pump the brakes of no, we're not 
we're not fixing this for them. They're, you know, we have to help them identify the issues, uh, you know, give them the training, the resources in order to, to come up with the solution themselves. So they own it and have the pride of doing that. And so, uh, in some ways it's almost halting some of that entrepreneurship and people that we've brought down. I think I would maybe just add to that, you know, in terms of locally, how people run their businesses, uh, how people are treating their employees, uh, the whole justice issue around, am I running my business to make money? And that's my primary goal. Or am I running my business to create a community of people that I treat fairly and equitably where my employees are actually the most important part of my entire business? And they and their families are the people that uh, that I'm I'm responsible for. I, I talked to a guy who has a business. He has about 80 employees in our church. And um, my word to him was, that's your primary responsibility. You know, I, I don't expect you to be volunteering here at the church, doing all whole pile of things. I expect you to be working hard in your company, making sure that your employees are well taken care of and are treated with with justice and, and with equity. And you are spiritually responsible for them. And I think that God will one day ask you, what did you do with those families that I placed under your care? And, you know, to his credit, he's really taken that seriously and he's run with it. And it's just fantastic to see mm-hmm. this guy, um, young guy with uh, like incredible uh, energy and drive, putting it to use, caring for his people and really doing that well, while making money. I mean, a business can't survive unless, unless it makes money. But his employees are his most mm-hmm. important asset and his most important responsibility. So that, that's been an encouragement for me here locally as well. Thank you. So both of you have shared at different points here some of the, the books that have been impactful for you in your own journey when learning about issues of poverty. But I'm curious, are there other resources or books that you recommend when someone wants to learn more about these topics? We're actually going through a seminar right now over about six weeks that uh, actually FH has uh, connected us to, which is wonderful. And one of the books that we're talking about and that we're actually is guiding us is called A Field Guide to Becoming Whole, Principles for Poverty Alleviation Ministries. It's by the same guy that wrote When Helping Hurts, uh, Fickert, uh, and his partner in writing their uh, KPIC. And I'm finding that one really helpful because it, I think to understand a biblical view of poverty and what God thinks of poverty, you have to start theologically and you have to get right down into the roots of what does it mean to be poor? We've already talked about that, but the impact I think for us is we're looking at poverty here in Duncan and how do we take a similar understanding to what FH is doing in a cool and going to the stakeholders and saying, what does poverty really mean for you? And what would you like to see? Uh, and then partnering with them and putting them in the driver's seat and making sure that that we are simply there to encourage and to support as they take God's vision for them. Uh, that's huge. And and at the theological, uh, sociological level, what Ficker talks about in North America, and this is something that I think most of us as churches struggle with, is he says there's something called evangelical Gnosticism. And evangelical Gnosticism is is basically we need to get your soul saved. We need to get you right with Jesus. Uh, and then when your soul is saved, you can just go on with the North American dream of grabbing as much as you can, being as wealthy as you possibly can be, having as many great experiences, you know, getting on a plane, going here, there and everywhere, traveling, um, living in, in, in as much luxury as you can afford while practicing, you know, some generosity as, as a Christian. And that's the kingdom. And actually, that's not the kingdom at all. That's That's a very distorted view of what the kingdom of God looks like. And so... 
I'm finding the book uh, impactful as we're working through it. It's a great reminder, and it's something that we want to keep in mind as we unpack what's going on here in the Cowichan Valley and how we can be used by God. In terms of a book recommendations, if I really wanted to cause someone pain, uh, it would be Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. That's that's a tough read as North American Christians. I don't know if I'd recommend it yet because I'm still working on it, but right now I'm reading uh, A Secular Age by um, Charles Taylor. Um, but what I actually, in light of this conversation, one thing that I found really interesting that he had said is that he, he's talking about the the progress to secularization where 500 years ago, it was assumed that you were were a theist, right? That you believed in God and you were an outlier if you didn't believe in God, right? And he's talking about how did it happen culturally, this amazing shift where now we've come to a point where, I mean, you're you're an outlier if you believe there is a God, right? And, and, and sort of had this baseline of secularism. Um, and But something he said really struck me. He said both sides, both the theist side and the secular side, both have ultimately the same goal, and that is human flourishing which I thought really interesting in, in terms of poverty alleviation. He said, um, both have the same heart motive, really, and, and that's we want to see people flourish. And in some ways, they're very similar, but he said uh, the secular removes sort of the, the transcendent. Uh, and so, so it's very similar, except as theists, as Christians, we believe that our ultimate allegiance is to the transcendent, to God. And, and so there's this anchor that doesn't move. And, and we believe that human flourishing exists in this, in this scope of, of honoring God, of, of that baseline of, of right and wrong. And so we, we, we keep anchored to that. And then in, in the secular, there is, no, there is no transcendent other. There is... There is, there is nothing else other than just individual human flourishing. And so that's where it becomes very relativistic and there is no anchor and it can sort of go anywhere that you believe if, if this will help someone flourish, then this is right and this is just. And so there, there isn't this anchor. And so I've, I'm finding it very interesting to see that, that our motivations in many ways, uh, both within the church and then even, you know, you look at, there's a homeless shelter uh, down the street that is, it's run by the government and it's a, a safe injection site and, and someone from the congregation used to work there and he really struggled because in the evenings he'd be handing out uh, needles and kits for people to inject and and not to get into the debate of whether or not that's best practice or not, but but they, they want to see people flourish, but they're doing it in, in many ways as a secular organization without this transcendent other which says, no, we're not moving beyond uh, beyond this anchor, which is truth. And so it's, it's just an interesting study for me of that human flourishing and, and two different perspectives of it. Great. Thank you. I can imagine as a listener that there may be all kinds of questions. So guys, I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here. If we have people who are listening and they are fascinated by what your church is doing, how can they reach out to you? How can they connect with you? They can email Henry at New Life Church. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting how Henry is not part of this conversation. <laughs> I mean, I would encourage people to to go to our website um, and to take a look at the model that we are really trying to to live by right now. And it, obviously, the model is fluid. I would suggest that they they really begin to read and to study. What does it mean to be people in the kingdom? And, and what is, you know, like Andrew's book, Taylor's book, um, Fickert's book, Sider's uh, book, uh, some of these books that, um, that really take a serious look at uh, stop and 
think about why you exist and how then you are existing. And does it line up? I, I would want them to do some reading and then we can sit down and we can talk together. They can certainly get a hold of us through our website. You know, Andrew's email, my email is there. Um, feel free to email us. I mean, we don't have an enormous amount of time, but uh, I can promise you that uh, I'll respond to any emails that I get. And I'm sure Andrew will do the same. And I would also encourage our listeners, if you would like more information about partnerships, church partnerships with Food for the Hungry, please feel free to reach out to me as well at Food for the Hungry. My information is on our website as well, fhcanada.org, or through this podcast as well. We have just really appreciated you gentlemen being with Mm -hmm. us today and sharing what, not just what your church is doing, but how this partnership with Food for the Hungry has impacted you, and also importantly, how it is impacting and changing the people in Akul. So, I just want to thank you for that. Also, just curious if there's anything else that we didn't cover today that maybe you'd like to add. I don't think so. I think it's a great conversation. We'll probably have more as time goes by. Um, thank you for inviting us on. It's it's great to share what the Lord is doing and um, we just want make to make sure that uh, that all credit goes to God. Of course, He is He's the one that is transforming our world, is transforming each of our lives. Well, many thanks to both of you. I so appreciate your perspectives and your experience here. Wish you all the best as you go forward from this conversation. Thanks very much. To explore what your next steps could be, or find out more about New Life Church, Food for the Hungry, and what other Canadians are doing about poverty, start by checking out fhcanada.org resources. 